Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 12, verses 43 through 51. And as the uh, as God is bringing his people out of Egypt, there is a meal that they are supposed to eat. And uh, this, this morning we had to read some of the um, instructions as it relates to that Passover meal. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we do thank you for your word which you have given to us. And God, we do ask that you would help us this morning as we hear your word read and proclaimed. God, help us to have ears to hear your word. God, help us to have minds that are ready to think on it, not just this morning, but to carry it with us. And God, I ask that you would give us hearts that are soft and ready to receive your word into our lives. Not just this morning, but God, that this morning you would continue to change us into the people that you've made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 12, verses 43 through 51. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the regulations for the Passover meal. No foreigner may eat it. Any slave you have bought may eat it after you have circumcised him, but a temporary resident or a hired worker may not eat it. It must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. A foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat it. The same law applies both to the native-born and to the foreigner residing among you. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. Turning then to our New Testament reading. This is Mark chapter 14, verses 53 through 65. As Jesus has been arrested and is now on trial uh, before going to the cross. Picking up in verse 53, it says, They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will build another not made with hands. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, Jesus said, or said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, as we come to our sermon text this morning, there are a couple of words that we need to take a look at. Uh, one of them is a word we've been uh, hearing quite a bit for a while, and today is, is it. We don't hear this one anymore in the whole rest of the Bible. This is the word Babylon, and we have heard this one quite a bit, and we've talked about how uh, even from early in Genesis, this Tower of Babel, this is that Babylon, and it, how it references more as it's uh, used throughout the Bible, uh, more than just the great city of Babylon or the great empire of Babylon, but there is this um, kind of Babylon-ness <laughs> about uh, the way that it's used to describe anything, any system or way of operating that is in opposition to God. It is this way of operating that is uh, people-centered instead of God-centered. It's just all the way back to the Tower of Babel of the we can do this ourselves. We can make a name for ourselves apart from God. When Babylon is used, it is this life apart from God reference. And the way in which uh, the kingdoms of this world often try to build exactly that. A way of having a life apart from God. We can do this all on our own. Thank you very much. So that's one of the uh, words we'll look at. However, in Revelation, uh, we looked at last week, the fall of Babylon. How at some point, that goes away. Not just the empire of Babylon, which had already fallen by the time John's writing this, many centuries earlier. But this whole Babylon-ness, this whole life apart from God, that comes down forever. And so we looked at that uh, last week, and we saw those who had their lives wrapped up in that way of uh, living were really sad about that because they had uh, kind of put all their eggs in the Babylon basket. So as Babylon falls, they go too. And they have uh, tethered themselves to the fate of Babylon. The other word, though, is the word hallelujah. And uh, this is this is a great word. It's a Hebrew word. And does anybody know what the word hallelujah means? You can answer. Praise, you, praise the Lord, right? It's, if you forget that that's what it means, there's a good song that helps you remember it. It's the one uh, for little kids. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Right? You got this? Remember that one? Some of you have to go way back, but it's there. Praise ye the Lord. This is what hallelujah means. It's, it's a command to other people to join with you in praising the Lord. Uh, that's actually literally what hallelujah means. <laughs> now, we sing this in lots of our songs. Makes sense. And, uh, and you probably expect that uh, it's everywhere in the Bible, right? Like it just shows up all over the place, doesn't it? It's super weird. It does show up quite a few places, but uh, really, most of those are collected in the book of Psalms. In the entire rest of the Old Testament, no hallelujah, just in Psalms. And most of those are collected right at the very end. So from Psalm, like the last five Psalms, you get 
two hallelujahs per psalm, the first line and the last line of the last five psalms. How cool is that? This is the way that the book of Psalms ends. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Um, In fact, I'll read from Psalm 150. Listen to this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Did you hear the hallelujah? (laughs) In our English Bibles, if you do a search for hallelujah, it doesn't show up anywhere in the Old Testament because it's a Hebrew word that gets translated as praise the Lord. (laughs) And so in most of uh, our English Bibles, you'll see a footnote. Like on verse 1 there, it says um, the Hebrew is hallelujah also in verse 6. So you'll see that it's kind of hidden in there. Uh, this hallelujah. In the New Testament, you know where hallelujah shows up? Shows up four times in one passage. And that's what we're going to read this morning. Here it is. Revelation chapter 18, uh, starting verse 21, going through 19, verse 10. It says, uh, uh, nope, nope, uh, that was the wrong spot. <laughs> 18, starting in verse 21. Here we go. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. That, by the way, is the last time Babylon shows up in the whole Bible. The great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, pipers and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of, the blood of prophets and of God's holy people, of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen. Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. 
Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. So what is the context for the only time that we see this word hallelujah in the whole New Testament? It happens again and again. This is this voice uh, from heaven, many voices from heaven, and a variety as we go through, but it's all celebrating the same thing. It's all rejoicing in who God is and calling for everyone to praise God for who he is and how he has finally brought an end to all the evil and all the pain and all the suffering and all the sorrow and everything that causes it. This is um, like if you have been dealing with, uh, with some sort of health issue and all that you've been able to do is like there's pain that it's caught and you've been able to deal with the symptoms. You just treat those, but you know, it's just getting worse and worse. And then one day you actually get the root cause dealt with gone forever healed, made whole, made right. This is what's happening on a cosmic scale that we are dealing still with a lot of the symptoms of a sin sick universe. But what we have is the promise that one day it will be restored and made whole and made right and made good. And this is reason to rejoice. We see uh, there's two pictures here um, given to us in the, um, and we've talked about the tale of two cities, Babylon and New Jerusalem, but they're pictured here as two women. Uh, the one is the Babylon is pictured as a prostitute. And then we have the, uh, the people of God who are pictured as the bride of the lamb. And so we have hallelujah for our, our Lord God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. This is what we're looking at. We're looking at the difference between uh, adultery and faithfulness. Think about this. In marriage, this is the picture that gets used all throughout the Old Testament as God talks about his relationship with his people. And you can even look at uh, Mount Sinai when he calls his people out of Egypt and he goes to Mount Sinai. That the, the covenant that he makes with his people there, it resembles in a lot of ways a marriage covenant. And so you have this representation of kind of God marrying his people. And then the whole rest of the Old Testament, you see this picture and the prophets call on this again and again of you guys are running after all these other idols. You're being unfaithful. There's this uh, depiction of like a spouse that is running around or sleeping around (laughs) with others. And so there's this picture of unfaithful people. And yet we have this faithful God. And what we see here is um, this like image of unfaithfulness contrasted with this image of faithfulness. The prostitute and the bride who's been made ready for the wedding. And, um, and it talks about fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. This is where we're headed. We are headed for 
a union with God in Christ that is that is better than all this world has to offer. And so when we get statements like this, we see that uh, that there are those who are really sad when Babylon falls, who are distressed because Babylon has fallen. It's because what they were wanting most in life is the things that Babylon had to offer. And when Babylon goes away, that's not there anymore. What's left? God is what's left. And so the question is, do you want God more than you want the things of Babylon? That seems like an easy question. However, there's a line in um, the book, The Screwtape Letters, which this... <laughs> Give me a second here while I explain what this is, because otherwise you will not understand what it's talking about. This is uh, a book C.S. Lewis wrote uh, years ago talking, uh, or that is in the... Um, the voice of a demon who is providing advice to a younger demon on how to keep someone from actually being a Christian um, for real. And uh, so even if they claim to be one, let's not let them be a real one, that kind of thing. So here is the advice from one demon to another. And in this particular part, trying to decide, you know, should we make him an extreme patriot or an extreme pacifist as it relates to World War II, which is what he was living through at the time when he wrote this. And he says, well, here's what we do. Says, Whichever he adopts, your main task will be the same. Let him begin by treating the patriotism or the pacifism as a part of his religion. Then let him, under the influence of partisan spirit, come to regard it as the most important part. Then... Quietly and gradually nurse him onto the stage at which the religion becomes merely part of the cause, in which Christianity is valued chiefly because of the excellent arguments it can produce in favor of the British war effort or of pacifism. The attitude which you want to guard against is that in which temporal affairs are treated primarily as material for obedience. Once you have made the world an end and faith a means, you have almost won your man. And it makes very little different what kind of worldly end he's pursuing, provided that meetings, pamphlets, policies, movements, causes, and crusades matter more to him than prayers and sacraments and charity. He is ours. And the more religious on those terms, the more securely ours. I could show you a pretty cageful down here. Your affectionate uncle, screw tape. Chilling, isn't it? And very insightful. Here again, you ask the question, do we want God more than we want the things of Babylon? And with this in mind, you know, what he's, uh, what he's saying there is what often happens is that people start off wanting God. And somehow get that twisted. And they start wanting the things of the world. And they start seeing how the, getting the things of the world can actually work quite nicely with 
getting God too, and you get both. And then we start, and we sort of shift again, and we start seeing that actually getting the things of the world is pretty nice, and maybe God can help us get the things of the world. And then the next thing we know, we've started convincing ourselves that actually what God wants most is for me to get the things of the world. And we start just using God to get something besides God. If that is where we are, we do not want God more than we want the things of Babylon. What we want is Babylon. And we're using God to try to get it. And if that is the case, we are headed for disaster. This is also where it says that fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. As we are preparing to be united with God, it's preparing for this uh, this wedding supper of the Lamb. I'm reminded of the, um, the parable Jesus tells of the prodigal son, the two sons, and how in the one, uh, he rebels against his father by disobeying. And how it's pointed out that the other son, the older brother, rebels against his father by obeying. This is uh, how Tim Keller puts it in The Prodigal God. He says, The hearts of the two brothers were the same. Both sons resented their father's authority and sought ways of getting out from under it. They each wanted to get into a position in which they could tell the father what to do. Each one, in other words, rebelled, but one did so by being very bad and the other by being extremely good. Both were alienated from the father's heart. Both were lost sons. Do you realize then what Jesus is teaching? Neither son loved the father for himself. They were both using the father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving, enjoying, and serving him for his own sake. This means that you can rebel against God and be alienated from him either by breaking his rules or by keeping all of them diligently. It's a shocking message. Careful obedience to God's law may serve as a strategy for rebelling against God. Now think about this. It makes sense. You remember the the young man who comes to Jesus and asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, what are the commands? And he starts listing off the command. Yeah, do that. And he says, oh, I've done all that. Since I was a kid, I, I do that. I don't break any of the rules. I keep them all. I'm paraphrasing here, but you get the idea. And Jesus says, all right, you lack one thing. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and come follow me. And the young man goes away sad. Why? Because his obedience was not out of a love for God, but it was a way to stay in control of his own life. And what he wanted more than God was his own independence from God. And Jesus diagnoses his heart condition accurately. When we read of the fall of Babylon, and we hear that it is at some point going to go away and never be found again, it 
The music of harpists and musicians and pipers and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again, etc., etc. If we see it as that which provides the things and the things that we want, we will hear of its destruction as a terrible calamity. But if we understand that Babylon is what stands for all that is opposed to God, and if what we want most of all is God, then when we hear that everything opposed to him will one day go away forever, that should lead to great rejoicing. And this is where you hear the multitudes of heaven shouting together, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And why? Verse 1 and 2. Pray, <laughs> Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who, has, who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And then we get the 24 elders, living, four living creatures. Amen, hallelujah. And then the, uh, the great multitude, yeah, it sounds like a great multitude. The roar of rushing waters and loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come. and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. This, this is why we are praising God. This is what it's all been leading up to. We're not there yet. There we'll see more in uh, the chapters to come. But at this point, even, John, as he's experiencing this vision, um, falls down at the feet of the angel who has been showing this all to him. And is that verse 10, at this I fell down to worship him, but he said to me, don't do that. <laughs> I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For it is a spirit of prophecy who bears testimony of Jesus. And I find this fascinating, that in the midst of this passage where you're seeing the contrast between uh, the things that everyone chases after and what we ought to be chasing after, <laughs> seeking God, seeking first the kingdom of God, right? This is the one thing that we are to be about. And even as he's seeing the contrast between uh, what everybody runs after and what we ought to be running after, John still misses it. Do you notice this? In the midst of this vision, how, how could you get it wrong in the midst of all this? And John turns to the nearest uh, angel and is like, let me just bow and worship you. And it's like, no, no, that's not it. As close as this angel may be to God, that's not what we worship. And so when we look at the things of God and we say, well, if I just worship the things of God or the uh, representatives of him instead of him, that's good, right? No, that's not. Because we're still putting something else in that place that belongs only to God. And so uh, it's a good reminder right here um, of that importance, but it's also a good reminder of how 
we all have this tendency, John included, in the midst of this, um, the midst of this vision, with all that he's seeing going on before him, and still, still he turns not to God, but to an angel. And the angel has to correct him and say, no, it's always God. It's always God. He is first. He alone is who we are to worship. And so we sing, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, for he alone is worthy of our praise and honor and glory. And all of us are to be for each other, not those who are seeking for others to worship us, but those who, like this angel, are fellow servants. As we help each other to stay on track, worshiping God uh, together. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.